Welcome to the HVAC Time Podcast, episode number three. Today we're going to be talking about HVAC systems and, you know, a lot of the thought processes processes and mindsets behind them. I've got some thoughts to share for myself. In talking about, you know, an HVAC system, what does the average tech think about when that gets brought up? A lot of the times we think about, you know, we've got a condenser, we've got a line set, we've got maybe some duct work. While that thought process is not completely false, it's not the most true either. It's, it's got more to do with, is that the most effective way to think about it? And let me explain what I mean by that. Before I dive off into that, let's go ahead and let's talk about our new segment. Item number one, we have a Linux. Linux has announced that they are going to be increasing their pricing and going into 2023 and their new lines of equipment. Uh, this is kind of on the heels of them making their announcements about uh, the new SEER protocol. Now, I think there's more to it than just that. So it's not as simple as just, you know, it's, it's just about the SEER thing. You know, there's a lot of other factors at play that's leading to those decisions. But it is something that we have to be very careful with and we're probably going to have to get used to to a certain degree. We've experienced this very heavily on our side on, with the commercial end of it. Just in a matter of months, we go from, uh, we had chillers that we had quoted and honestly were within budget and all kinds of stuff and job was going really well and it took them uh took the customer a couple of months to get all their stuff in order and the engineers and and so forth and just in that amount of time once they finally release the contract and we go to move forward with it we get uh, notified that they had to reevaluate the pricing again and the second pricing came back in i think they had like a 20 percent increase which push the whole job over budget. What that led to is having to completely reevaluate who the who the supplier was of the equipment. So uh, we're seeing this across the board. This is way more than just a Linux issue. Linux is just one of several companies. This is something I think we're just gonna continue to see, especially with the uh, SEER updates. And that leads me to my point number two. Uh, we'll come back to this in a minute. I gotta get the chickens handled first too. The SEER standards across the board are updating by basically one SEER. You know, we went from a, was it 12 to 13 SEER if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was 10 to, to 13. I think it went 10 to 12 and then went 12 to 13 SEER. And so now we're going from 13 to 14 SEERs, the basic standard across the board. So going into 2023, you can expect that to be kind of just the new standard going forward as we have stepped up a, a full SEER in the rating scale, which is gonna drive some costs and things. And I wanna add some extra input to that. Something that as an industry, we heavily learned by uh, what happened during the last SEER increases, the design parameters for those higher SEER ratings go up significantly. And that's something that you have to be thinking about. If you're a contractor and you're doing this kind of stuff and you're not that heavy into system design, or if you're not used to working with maybe some higher SEER systems, you really should be thinking about this and paying attention to what's happening. The more that SEER increases and the more that the industry continues to have this process, the more those design parameters become more strenuous. And what's gonna happen is if you don't do this correctly, you're gonna find yourself having to do a ton of warranty and, and even maybe in some cases, major system changes that comes back to how you originally put the system in. I'm talking from a ductwork perspective, I'm talking, you know, if you're not familiar with uh, high efficiency homes in terms of being um, uh, like spray foam or more high efficiency buildings, 
There's so many variables that are coming to the forefront today with these energy ratings continuing to improve. It's going to get you in trouble. And we saw this, you know, this, this is, this got a lot of people in trouble when we've had seer increases in the past, largely because, uh, that you don't properly factor in how this is changing things in the system, such as your airflow requirements and your air exchange requirements. Like, there is a lot of difference between them. And if you're not prepared for that, or if you're not calculating that in to whatever it is you're doing, you're gonna get yourself in trouble. Getting back to the subject at hand, okay. So if you continue to think about the system as the unit itself, you're gonna open yourself up to some misdiagnosis opportunities as you move forward. And you're also gonna find that it's gonna be more, it's gonna be challenging to have really firm, solidified diagnosis that you can stand behind because, well, we're getting to a day and age, and I'm seeing this more and more, Customers are questioning the diagnosis given more than I think I've ever seen. You know, there was not that long ago where customer rarely actually questioned what you did that much. And the upper management honestly wasn't really even that involved in most of the process. And it, a change that we've seen very heavily on our side, you know, in Central Texas, is the management and everybody is getting more and more involved in the conversations. And I don't know if it's because of lack of trust. I don't know what is driving it. But in them asking more questions, we're seeing that we're having to make sure that we've got a more educated diagnosis to back those things up. Because there's been several times where too generic of an answer doesn't cut it for these people. And, and rightfully so, it shouldn't. We should be able to properly explain everything that we recommend. And in some cases, I mean, you have to give, well, this is just what my experience has shown, right? It's not that that's not a valid answer, but a lot of times we have the ability to give a more educated answer. So let me give a scenario of, you know, looking at the system as, or looking at the HVAC unit as the system and how that perspective, you know, leads into some trouble. And this is something that I've personally experienced. This is something I've had to grow through. And this is also something that I deal with routinely with my own technicians and trying to help develop their uh, mindset and how they think and look at different systems. So if you're working on a self-contained system, we're saying like a McQuay or Train SW, uh, SWP, or, and I think trains are SPC or SWC, anyway, it's a self-contained system. So, and when I say self-contained, I'm not talking about a, like a package unit, and I'm also not talking about a water source heat pump, for example. Well, sure, those are self-contained. For those who aren't familiar with it, we do have a, there's a type of system, and SWP is what McQuay and Daikin, I know for sure, called it, and I think trains is an SW something. What it is, it's basically an air handler with a water-cooled condenser, and it'll have a refrigerated circuit inside of it, and that one air handler, you may have multiple of these uh, systems on a single floor, a lot of the times they'll size them to where one unit will be big enough to handle the entire floor. And you may have a 20 story building with each, one, each floor having its own self-contained. And then all of this is tied into a larger condenser water loop and pumps and cooling towers and the whole nine yard. So something I used to be guilty of before I really started to shift my mindset is when I walked up to one of these units and I had to go do a system troubleshoot, I'll say it that way. I say I had to go to the 10th floor and this uh, SWP system was having high head issues. You know, it kept tripping 
the high pressure switch on the on the condenser you know i would dive into that unit and i start troubleshooting it out you know and and with that you're looking at you know each circuit has its own condenser whether it be tube and tube or a barrel style you know a lot of the newer systems have gone barrel some of the older ones had tube and tubes. So you walk up to the unit and what you're trying to check is, you know, what's all the common head pressure things? You know, it's, you know, is it a charge issue? Is it a maybe flow issue on the barrels? Are the barrels gunked up? Do we have a strainer problem? Are we dealing with some kind of filter dryer issue? Is it overcharged? You know, honestly, overcharging on these systems is a pretty common problem, you know, we run into, especially when we take on new accounts. Probably one of the most misdiagnosed versions of this call is condemning a fouled condenser barrel because you know one there's a lot more training to it so if you're paying attention to approach and things there's always the devil's advocate to the argument i'm making my point is though if, if you're just strictly looking at this one unit as its own internal system and really nothing else you know you got the piping coming in once you get past the isolation valves it, you're no longer working on this system. You're working on something entirely different. So most of the time, the technician that's gonna fall for the misdiagnosis here is they're gonna be looking at, you know, I'm dealing with high head pressure, my strainer's clean, my ball valves are open on the system or my, my butterfly valves, however big it is, doesn't matter. So my valves are open all the way, my strainer's clean on the system, Maybe I'll look at the pumps, you know, but honestly, if, if none of the other units in the, in the building are having a problem in that moment, a lot of times they won't even look at the pumps. You know, I know I didn't. As long as I knew the rest of the building was working fine, I would just automatically assume the pumps were fine. And eventually, you know, you, you feed that through long enough, you get to a point where it just, it makes sense. Okay, well, I've just, I've got dirty condenser tubes. We need to come in brush them, do whatever we need to do to uh, fix the condenser issue. I've even completely condemned those barrels before because I couldn't get the head pressure under control. I had all the valves and everything else open and, and you find yourself in a position to where you get so localized at this one unit, the options become very narrow as to what the problems could be because your system is the unit itself. Okay, I'm making this big hoopla about, you know, what I'm calling a system and I'm being super dramatic about how I'm using the term system and da 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 da. What I'm getting at, stop looking at the unit as the system. That piece of equipment is just one piece of the actual system. If you listen to or follow or have paid attention to Bill Spohn and the work he's done with the uh, HVAC Building Science podcast, you really should start paying attention to it. You know, this was this was a concept I'd started to work on a couple of years ago. And then in the last year, I found Bill Spohn's podcast and started listening to what he had to say. And he really helped kind of bring the, the line of thought that I was trying to formulate for myself together. You know, he's, he's walked this road, he's lived this life. A lot of wisdom in that man. As an alternative, the self-contained on that 10th floor was just one component of the bigger system. And the system itself is the entire building that is facilitating that system. We got 10 floors, right? So typically in a setup like this, say the cooling towers were on the ground out back behind the building. The pumps were down on the ground level at the tower yard. And we've got 10 building or 10 floors worth of piping and risers. Each one of those things is a different component in the system. Inside of a regular HVAC refrigeration circuit, we have components to that system, but that is on a more micro scale 
the system. The actual micro or macro, macro scale of the system is the building itself. And for that whole building to function, there's lots of things that have to work together. And don't think that everything is strictly isolated to one single floor. Because something you have to factor in is if you're looking at everything from a building perspective, uh, if, or if you're familiar at all with how heat load calculations are done, you don't necessarily, you don't calculate load from between floors. You're calculating the perimeter walls because if the floor above is being controlled like it's supposed to be, there shouldn't be a real load coming down nor a real load coming up. So what you're really focused on is just the perimeter uh, infiltration points. But if the unit above is not controlling properly, that can start to cause symptoms in the unit below. And an example of this would be like if you had a, a building that's having TI build-outs, meaning that there's, there's uh, some empty spaces above that you know, are getting worked on and uh, most of the time buildings won't run the HVAC on those floors because it just save them money. The project doesn't want to spend the money for the energy cost. Happens all the time. But there's some consequences to that because the floor below it that still has tenants in it wasn't calculated to have the floor above not working at all. So you might start having some excessive load issues. You might start having some hot spots or some humidity areas that you historically weren't having before that TI process started or the tenant above ended up moving out and the building management stopped controlling that space. The floor in the middle, if you weren't paying attention to the whole building and what was happening there, it may not make a whole lot of sense to you why something changed and then that's going to be the question that uh, management has is, well, it, we've not had a problem for all these years. Why is all of a sudden this or that or this or that? And because you're, you're, you're too localized in your mindset, you will miss out as to what the actual problem is. The problem is we're having to account for load that the system was never intended to have. So in an extreme case, in my scenario I've already created, you know, say the 10th floor unit became a TI build out which has a roof line and it was calculating all that extra roof load. Now the ninth floor has an excessive load on the 10th floor because it's not being conditioned and the snowball continues. And so when you walk up to that, we'll say the ninth floor unit now, you need to be thinking about what conditions are existing all around that, that unit. The floors above, the floors, floors below, and even the water piping. So each one of those uh, self-contains is its own component in the system. And then you also have pumps, you have cooling towers. Any one of these things could be having a problem be reflected in that ninth floor unit or the 10th floor. So to dive a little deeper as to the misdiagnosis thing I was talking about earlier, as I was still learning hydronics and, you know, building my concepts as to how all that does work and how it's supposed to function and, you know, what are more proper ways of troubleshooting it, I began to realize that a lot of those diagnoses I had made in the past were wrong because I didn't realize that the piping part of the equation was not being taken into account. So when I say piping, I'm specifically referencing there's too little water, right? And so that's what would happen like on that 10th floor scenario. I did this several times. This mistake led me to paying a lot more attention to the hydronic side. I wouldn't check the actual pressure and the pressure drop on the piping. I wouldn't see how little pressure was there. So for example, if your condenser water loop 
especially if you got a say a closed loop tower or something, uh, your lowest pressure point is gonna be up at that top level. Your pumps themselves on the inlet side would have to be maintaining roughly 80-ish PSI in order to properly facilitate that building's head weight of the water. That would be an indicator to me that we've got enough water in the loop, but I could only see that at the pump. At the unit, I should be seeing somewhere around 10 PSI-ish or 10 to 15 coming into the unit and somewhere less than that, you know, a few pounds of drop coming out of it. And so what I've had happen is, you know, the, the makeup system, uh, which I find is actually way more common than I thought it was, are rarely maintained very well. And a lot of the times, a lot of technicians aren't taking the time to calibrate the makeup valve on any loop. And so when you're not calibrating that valve, it's easy for that valve to kind of slowly back itself out due to vibrations or whatever else, back itself out of maintaining proper pressure. And so when it can't maintain proper pressure, if the reliefs start leaking or if anything happens, you can have a scenario where you end up losing too much water from the loop. So in that scenario, you know, okay, so We've lost so much water from the loop that we no longer have flow up on the 10th floor. And that's what was happening to me in some of those situations was it's not that the, the other floors weren't tripping out because the loop still had just enough water to provide some kind of flow through them. But that very top floor, which will be the first floor to show that symptom, the pumps couldn't, uh, there wasn't enough water in the loop for the pumps to move it to provide a proper flow through the unit. You end up spending a lot of time if you're strictly just trying to troubleshoot that one self-contained by itself as its own independent thing and you're trying to diagnose something that is not a, uh, there's not a unit problem. It is a building problem. It is a whole system problem. And if you're paying attention to the whole system as a whole up front or it wouldn't take so much to recognize what your what your bigger issue was is you had too little water in the loop right and i saved myself a ton of time because i've learned that when i start seeing symptoms like that that's one of the first things to verify now again some of this could also come down to just pure experience and having that experience but what i'm saying is if you don't have that experience or if you've never seen these things before you could end up in a place where you spend too much time you don't necessarily have to see these some of these things in order to quickly confirm what is happening because once you begin to look at the bigger picture as to how the system is functioning and how every single one of those self-contains even from a balancing perspective, if somebody has gone through and thrown every single one of the, the condenser water valves wide open, well, that's gonna lead into a balancing problem on the loop. And that balancing problem will result in you having flow issues through that particular unit. So maybe it's not even that we don't have enough water. You're not moving the water the way it was designed. You know, another big example that a lot of us really don't think about that much, calculating like outside air, you know, that's another piece of the bigger system that if you're not paying enough attention to, you'll end up completely misdiagnosing something because if you're having trouble with like say humidity in the building, you know, you may only have one or two tenants in an entire space, or maybe you've only got two floors to begin with. You know, this is not uncommon. So with your outside air, you usually have some kind of outside air input fan and you'll have some kind of dedicated, you know, exhaust air system when you're dealing with a, a system like a self-contained. If the supply air from the outside air and the exhaust air aren't balanced properly, 
or maybe they're running when they shouldn't be. Regardless of the condition, there's all kinds of things that could be causing the problem. But you say you have a two-story building, for example, the second story may be complaining like crazy because the whole uh, floor, which keep in mind, if we got one self-contained for that space, that whole floor is having crazy humidity issues and they is driving them nuts and they, they can't figure out why. Well, that could very well be because of your outside air input. Now, this is where having a system like a field pulse, for example, and what they do, and they can give you as a technician or even just calling the office, really easy access to look up old data and see you know, how many calls we've had. A lot of times, some of this stuff, especially the more advanced things, that's where they become diagnosed. It may not even be on the first call. It may be two or three calls in after we've had a couple of technicians on site, but having that software where you can look back at it in a very quick and efficient manner makes it easy to see that. This is a sponsored podcast, by the way, so appreciate Phil Pulse and those guys. Go talk to Michael. Hope you like that plug there. Thought it was pretty creative. Anyway, the point is, you know, those kind of systems do assist in a legitimate troubleshooting ability for a technician because he can look back and see what happened on previous calls and it'll help guide him on how he needs to go through and troubleshoot that existing system. The last guy might have come out, it couldn't explain why it was or maybe, you know, I, I think, so humidity, a very common uh, misdiagnosis for humidity problems gets blamed on uh, the actual like space air movement or something along those lines. You know, something actually in the space instead of actually, you know, taking a um, psychrometer out and measuring the air conditions and seeing what needs to be adjusted. Or if, you know, make sure your saturations or your refrigerant side of it's actually processing that air down properly. Anyway, so yeah, a software can help with that. But the core fundamental, what I'm saying, still holds true because if you walk into that call of the mindset of that self-contained is the only thing that you're you're needing to look at, that's where the complaints are, you m might find that there's not really that much wrong with the self-contained itself, you know, and maybe you do have some slightly weird evaporator readings, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you're going to look completely past the outside air piece of it. And then that was likely to lead to a misdiagnosis or even just a diagnosis you're not very confident in, which the customer is going to register on their part. And then you ultimately just end up in a place where you don't solve their problem. And when you can't solve their problem, you either have to find somebody who can or they will find somebody who can instead. And you pick which one you'd rather have. So my kids got in a wreck on this thing a little bit earlier. And ever since then, that's why the hood popped up and I think we may have stripped some gears or something on the wheel. So I'm about to take this apart and look at it just in case you're wondering to summarize and to try to draw some conclusions as to what I'm saying. If you rethink how you look at a system and anytime you walk up to any unit before you hyper focus in on the unit that you're going to be working on. First, just look at the building as a whole and consider what's happening there before anything else and start to see systems in that light because I think what you will find is it'll become much easier to get a much better diagnosis if there's something outside of the unit that's causing that problem. And this translates even to, to home system. You know, I did residential for a period of time. There are a lot of situations where the problem was never the unit. It was things outside of the unit, but the symptoms it creates in the unit 
we have the ability to sometimes manipulate the unit itself to fit these to the problem and so but the unit and what's happening in the unit is nothing more than a symptom of the problem and what you end up with is a much less efficient system that's going to last a lot shorter time frame and part of our goals in my opinion is we are trying to help systems live longer and run smoother cleaner better we have the ability to do that when we don't hyper focus on just the actual piece of equipment itself at the same time you know just like when i talk about people like field pulse you know i'm very genuine in what i'm saying is these types of softwares are huge in our ability to use them as a as a resource tool you know when i was my first several years in the trade everything was still paper based you know, we hadn't started switching to automated systems and even the ones that existed weren't really that good. And they weren't, they ended up being something where the admin team were the only ones who were trained on it and they had to basically input everything. Like it wasn't broke down in such a way to where us as technicians could actually do that reasonably. But that's not the trade of today. And we have tools like Phil Pulse at our disposal now where we can really improve our communication and efficiencies and they genuinely help like they, they help companies make better diagnosis because we can get better information that is more real time in the field and that's huge you know especially for a technician to have that at his fingertips and even myself as a manager out in the field you know being able to access the company's data you know remotely is a massive thing now i'm not gonna I'm, i don't mean to mislead to say that i personally use field pulse my company does not but my point is our software we have is not that different now i'm just one person i can't make that decision for my company nor am i going to enter into a conflict of interest so let's just not have that conversation that's not the point here i appreciate you guys listening and just even caring to hear me out on anything i have to say uh, I really appreciate the community and the feedback and y'all's voice really does help guide, you know, what I need to do to help. Cause that's why, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this is I want to help and provide knowledge, experience, feedback, whatever I can on my side. So the more you engage, the more you interact, it helps tell me what it is that would help you as an individual the most and wherever you are in your career, uh, anywhere from you know, an entry-level apprentice to the highest end of management. I've been fortunate in what I've been able to do in my career. Bill Spohn, look him up. He is an incredible resource in this industry, and he's got some incredible podcasts that do a much better job of what I've done today to explain more in depth to the building science side of things and why it's important. And if you can become not only a technician, but even a company that can start to really specialize in this line of work, I can tell you from personal experience that it is going to help drive your business. This is something that, you know, the company I'm with, we've done as a management shift is really f trying to specialize in optimizing buildings, you know, on a, on a heavy commercial scale. And the deeper we've gotten into this uh, and the better we've gotten at doing it, it has really helped us improve our business as a whole because, you know, these management companies can call us as a resource and we can significantly improve their building as a whole because we understand and we approach the thing as its own full dedicated system i'll shut up now guys i got so a lot to do so 
I'm just going to keep talking and taking too much time trying to do it.